This is episode one of Nothing Permanent. My name is Kunal Jathal, and I tend to spend obscene amounts of time in my own head, making my life more complicated than it needs to be. Today, I'm here with my good buddy, Sean Charles Brown. Hi, I'm Sean Charles Brown, and I sleep on an air mattress. I'm also 36, and I have no plans of buying even a futon. Hi, Sean. How are you doing today? I'm doing well, Kunal. How are you? Doing great. Yeah, this is something that I've wanted to do for some time now. I'm really psyched that this has come to fruition and we're here to like talk about some interesting things. So how did we uh, get to know each other? That's kind of an interesting story. And I thought maybe it might be fun to just start off with that. Yeah, it was an interesting story. So uh, in February of 2018, I went to Tokyo, Japan for two weeks. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was the first time traveling internationally for me by myself. Mm. And when I came back to the States, I just felt like a champ. So I started going to co-working spaces and just hanging out with strangers on free co-working days at these offices. And the first space that I went to was a place called Clever Dog in downtown Los Angeles. And there sat across the table from me, Mm -hmm. a young, starry eyed, (laughs) beautiful (laughs) Kunal Jathal. And we just got to talking a bit. We went out to shitty Chinese food for lunch. It was in Chinatown. Mm -hmm. It was lousy. (laughs) But I didn't care because I was in the company of somebody who I knew was going to become a great friend. Fast forward 18 months. Mm -hmm. Here we are. Yeah. Wow. I'm extremely flattered and uh, the sentiments are all entirely mutual. The chemistry of our friendship is an anomaly in terms of its relationship to how we met. That is to say, I don't think I've ever met anyone that randomly at a co-working space and then clicked with them so well, which actually tempts me to rant a little bit about something that co-working spaces could do better, which is this concept of like building community. Mm. And I think we've spoken about it before, but so I moved to LA a little prior to February 2018, around about the same time. I didn't know anyone in the city and I wanted to form my own social circle and my own identity in LA. You know, my job allows me to work remotely. So the obvious strategy for me was to go and hit up co-working spaces where I could like meet people and get to know them. That's not really a thing. That doesn't really like happen. Co-working spaces, in my experience, have just been spaces that provide common facilities to people that need them. But they don't provide what I would argue is the most important facility of of all, which is a way for those people to actually talk to each other and for those people to get to know each other. So you just end up working around people and next to people, but not really like getting to know them. 
And I think some co-working spaces like WeWork, they try to have these activities where there's like a happy hour or like free kombucha, like Wednesdays or mindful Mondays or, you know, whatever. And it really never kind of pans out because their focus is still on just providing the logistics for people to partake in together, but not really providing the push for people to like talk to each other. Well, I would like to touch on that because I I had an idea while you were talking about that. And you're right. I've been to a million of these things before, not necessarily at co-working spaces, although I've been to them at co-working spaces, but all sorts of other places that have these mixers. It's just a bunch of awkward strangers who are so deep in their own insecurity that they can't carry a conversation until they get a few alcohols in them. Right. And there's nothing inherently wrong with that. Alcohol is the social lubricant for most of us. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, there needs to be a leader or multiple leaders in, in a social situation that can create a mood, create a theme, coordinate with one another, and heighten the social atmosphere of the gathering so that people aren't so painfully dependent on getting hammered. Right. There needs to be some distinction between a WeWork and a bar. If I just wanted yeah. to go drink and use that liquid courage to then socialize, I would just go to a bar. Right. Right. That's what bars are arguably for. Yep. So yeah, I, I completely agree that there needs to be a more intentional like mechanism in place to facilitate and to just encourage people and to almost teach people how to like talk to each other. And yeah. that's what hosts and hostesses I think there's a big social problem with that. You know, people have no manners. And I don't mean, well, I do mean that they're extremely rude, but I think they're rude due to ignorance. Nobody, and and, and I'm pointing at myself when, when I say this sort of thing, but nobody has really been brought up having learned the art of communication, being a good host, being a good hostess, you know, how to keep things light, how to keep things airy, how to get people to open up without things dropping to such a low vibration that everybody becomes really sad. You know, stuff like that mm -hmm. is extremely important. It's interesting that you talked about how people, through no fault of their own really, don't necessarily have the best communication skills. Let me follow up to that a little bit about the fact that communication skills are lacking. I think not only is that the case, but there is a lifetime of trauma that precedes those types of responses. Right. It's easy for me to latch onto that and agree with it, which is there's a lifetime of trauma behind the words that come out of anyone's mouth, right? And essentially communication can just be defined as people broadcasting their trauma and veiling it with words. Mm. That's kind of what communication is, mm -hmm. right? And good communication is sort of trying to have your words not be a function of your trauma. Not be influenced by your not, trauma yeah, either. Not arise from your trauma. <clears throat> yeah. And that requires a lot of work. It requires a lot of work to separate your trauma from your words. And even to be able to do that work, you need to have good fortune in some sense. Regardless of all the trauma that me and you have had, we have also been lucky in that we have had some circumstances in our life that have enabled us to do that work. 
Yeah. And to work on ourselves and to improve our communication and to transcend our trauma. Yeah. I think that's basically like what it comes down to. I want to segue from communication skills into manners and etiquette because I think they go hand in hand. Mm. So I don't really know what to call myself. That's another story for another time. Let's just say I'm a video editor. Mm-hmm. When I'm booked, I'm booked and that's what I'm doing. When I'm not booked, I'm either out working some construction with a general contractor or I drive Lyft. Uh, yesterday specifically, I get a ride that takes me out to Beverly Hills and there's a lot of bad reception in this section of Beverly Hills. So I had to like drive around, go pick the guy up. It was really difficult, but he starts calling me incessantly. Mm. I finally pick up cause I realize it's him and he goes, dude, where are you? Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, I'm circling the black man. You know, I have to follow the map and stuff like that. You know, just sit tight. And he was like, but I was literally right there. I was right there, you know, and he's just like on me about it. And I said, dude, I don't know what you look like. Mm-hmm. And he's like, ah, you're right. You're right. And this guy caught himself really, really quick. And he's like, all right, just meet me on this corner because he kept running around, like trying to find me. I said, okay, fine. We'll meet on this corner. Mm. And I pick him up and this guy was a little more self-aware and he corrected it as much as he could, but he was extremely high strung. He said, I'm sorry for being rude, man. It was my fault. I'm just really late for this thing. I've got to be there at like four, you know. He said that? Yeah. And okay. it was like 345. We only had two miles to go, but it was 345. Right. He was just so high strung. He was looking up the directions on his phone mm. and trying to find an alternative route. And he said, why don't, why don't you turn here? Why don't you turn there? And I told him, I said, these routes that you are trying to present to me are already presented on my phone and they're slower. I am going the fastest route. Mm-hmm. You know, and eventually he like chilled out and then he was super grateful after I, you know, got him there only two minutes late as opposed to the 10 or 15 minutes late he thought he was going to be. Mm -hmm. And I kept thinking about that. I thought, God damn, like this guy's just dumping his lack of ability to plan ahead Mm. and get into a goddamn lift earlier Mm. all on to me. Mm hmm. Again, I was like double triggered. So Mm -hmm. while I was angry that this adult could not take responsibility for his own lack of preparation, Mm -hmm. I was also, again, angry at myself Mm -hmm. for succumbing to it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I had to catch myself and be like, dude, like, why do you care? Mm. And I thought, well, I care because like this idea of being a Lyft driver is based on a rating system, mm-hmm. you know, and suddenly I get like, you know, half a star taken off my rating. Mm. Like, that's why I care. Mm. And I was pissed off about that, you know, and I had a fairly good enough day. I made enough money. I mean, Lyft is a racket. You don't really make any real money. So that's always in the back of my mind because I do the math. But to have to deal with these insane, negligent and ignorant personality types mm-hmm. uh, that are just so indicative of LA mm. just kind of like exhausting it, it was exhausting and it did a number on me right and that's when I was thinking so hard about about manners and etiquette right there's some anger and like frustration on like your end and you mm. know justifiably so because mm. you are having to deal with people's personalities in a very passive way so you kind of have to just be a spectator to everyone's dysfunction and you are 
implicated in that, but you have to be silently implicated because you don't want to drop from a 4.98 to like a 4.96, right? I think that there's a very powerful opportunity for you over here. And this is something that I had to exercise daily when I was in Sacramento. So I went to Sacramento because my sister graduated. She got her PhD and my parents flew in from the UAE to partake in the festivities. My parents have like a super toxic relationship. And for most of my life, up until this trip, I've always felt implicated. What, like you were somehow responsible for it? Not that I was necessarily responsible for it, but at least I was responsible for fixing it. Mm. Right? Yeah. The one theme of perception that allowed me to like, dare I say, enjoy my time in Sacramento this time, mm -hmm. was this continuous internalization and recognition that this has nothing to do with me. Mm. I'm not implicated in this. I can choose to be implicated or I can choose to not be implicated. Objectively, if my mom is yelling at my dad, it has nothing to do with me. Yeah. That's not coming from a place of resignation or indifference. This ties in with what we were talking about earlier where everyone has a lifetime of trauma, right? Yeah. Everyone's communication is just an expression of their trauma. Mm -hmm. So when I see my mom yelling at my dad, what I'm actually seeing is, oh, so my mom, she's had a very difficult relationship with my dad and she doesn't have, she's never had the emotional tools to grapple with that. And actually her anger is just an expression of her sadness. This allows me to completely not just not feel implicated, but it actually allowed me to develop like compassion mm -hmm. for my mom. Right. right? So... Coming back to your stories, your frustration or your anger, in my opinion, it seems to come from a place of feeling implicated. Yes. The guy who was late and who was just super high strung. Yeah. His high strungness is purely his. Yeah. Or his emotional turmoil, it's not yours. Right. There's a story in Buddhism about this like super angry dude who like storms up to the Buddha and he's just trying to like give him shit. And the Buddha's just like calm as fuck as he always is. And, you know, the guy is just perplexed at how calm the Buddha is. And um, he's like, you know, like, why aren't you pissed off? Like, what the hell is going on? And the Buddha, by way of analogy, because everything in Buddhism is analogy, he's like, if I come to your house and I give you a gift, if I give you a present, but you refuse to take it, does that gift become yours or does it just stay with me? Right? And the guy was like, yeah, like, obviously it stays with you. And he was like, your anger is a gift that I'm just refusing to take. Mm. <laughs> so it's yours. Mm. And there's this opportunity where there's this guy and he's super high strung and it's, it's really, really difficult, but it's possible to feel unimplicated by recognizing, oh, okay, he's just broadcasting his emotional turbulence. Mm. You're not trying to pacify yourself. Mm -hmm. This is not an argument to allow people to treat you like shit, but it's an argument to hone the ability to recognize the wisdom in not feeling implicated when you don't need to. Yeah, I think the problem is that I still 
and this has always been a problem, I have a tendency to, when I, when I feel implicated in a scenario like that, to lash out right in self-defense. Yeah. I get defensive, you know, like, but I didn't do this to you. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and then I do it in whatever way I possibly can. And um, in tight quarters, like a car, right. there's not really much you can do. Yeah. Luckily, there are phones where I can express it when they call me frustrated. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I also think that I get there to begin with because in my mind, I have 13 years of experience as an editor. Mm -hmm. and I'm not the best in the world, but I'm pretty damn good. And, you know, a lot of my work can be seen on Netflix and Hulu and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Yet here I am driving Lyft. Mm, you okay, know, there you go. And now I, so, you know, I think that although I am better at not allowing myself to be implicated in, in scenarios like that, mm. when I'm feeling particularly vulnerable, mm. I can go there and I can go there a lot quicker. Mm. And I was feeling particularly vulnerable because that's always in the back of my mind, whether I'm driving Lyft or doing construction, I'm doing either or both of those things because I have no work prospects in the field that I spent years honing my craft in. Mm. And it doesn't necessarily implicate me in any one of those people's moods but it implicates me against myself mm -hmm. and it's amplified by the way I'm being mistreated by them. Right. I don't want to sound like abnormally positive, but realizing that there's something deeper beneath the surface and the thing that's deeper beneath the surface is 100% in your control. And by in your control, I mean, it's something that you have the ability to like work on that's kind of a superpower and it's kind of the only superpower we can hope to like keep improving yeah it's the only superpower we have as self-aware individuals i like to use this phrase it's not about the dishes it's never about the dishes mm. right because the quintessential problem in any relationship is there's someone who's cleaner than the other person if someone comes home and they see all the dishes piled up in the sink and they're like yo what the fuck can you clean the goddamn dishes like right. i've been at work all day or whatever and the other person's like, can you just like stop busting my balls? I'll get to it when I get to it, right? It's never about the dishes. There's always something deeper at play. Yeah. So I think our best chance of finding sanity in life is trying to perfect two skills. Number one, the ability to recognize that it's not about the dishes and to find out what it's actually about. Mm -hmm. That's half the battle. And then the other half of the battle is, okay, now that I know what it's about, guess what? I am the only and the best person to try and work on that or to change that. Yeah. So I think the fact that you recognize, you know, there, there's more layers to this. That's great. Now you kind of have an opportunity to like deep dive. Right. Into the pool of your own like mind. Yeah. You're going to be the only one who can describe it. But if, is it feelings of like regret and these feelings of anger and feelings of like resentment? Like, okay, where do they come from? Why do I have them? How do I kind of like transcend them? Mm -hmm. But I do know that what's important is before you can even start that process, you have to be kind to yourself. Mm. The first step to any kind of change is accept, not just on like not on a surface level to just genuinely accept like, OK, cool. This is who I am. And that's OK. Yeah. And I am this way because of, again, it all comes back to like the lifetime of trauma. Yeah. Right? 
I'm this way because of all the circumstances I've been through, yada, yada, yada. That's fine. You have to genuinely feel that that's fine. Yeah. Only then are you best positioned to now start exploring that. Yeah. Well, yeah, that sort of hits home. And doesn't that seem like it's the core tenet of being self-aware and mindful to acknowledge that every external stimuli we experience is peripheral to how we interpret it and how we respond to it because it's all a matter of our perception. It is all a matter of our perception. Yeah, it's a matter of our perception. And if we decide that we're going to respond by brooding, right. which is essentially what I did. Which is okay. Which is okay. I did it. Yeah. You know, um, then that's one way to go. And then you you prolong it. You you exacerbate it. You make the wound worse. Right. Uh, if you decide to meet that negative experience with more negativity right and that's not even to say that you need to meet it with positivity you could simply like the buddha said right not accept the gift right <laughs> uh, which is of course easier said, said than done. it's so much easier said than done because you can think of all the different ways you can exact and extract revenge mm. on those that do you harm mm-hmm. in any way possible you know Mm -hmm. and i guess that's why we're so flawed that's definitely part of why i'm flawed Mm. in line with this theme that we're touching upon where it's all about perception i also think there is a fine line between calibrating your perception to best heal yourself and being delusional you don't want to tell yourself any lies that's true right so if i see my mom yelling there's a difference between me saying, everything's fine. This is fine. Yeah. She just has like high blood pressure. And that, that's that's all this is. I don't want to do that. Right. That's being delusional. Mm-hmm. But if, you know, doing the other thing, which is, oh, actually, she's just sad. And her anger is an expression of her sadness. Yeah. It's more an acknowledgement of the shittiness, but then understanding why the shittiness is shitty. Right. And more than anything, it's about trying to arrive at the truth. Yeah. You want the packaging of the truth to resonate with whatever will heal you. Mm-hmm. But it's important that beneath the wrapping paper is the truth. This reminds me, okay, so a few days ago, I went to watch a talk uh, with this Tibetan monk and it was on like meditation. Ah. He gave this example about there's this guy who's going to the gym, right? And the gym is packed that day because everyone wants to like work out and the closest parking spot is actually like a five minute walk away from the gym there's no other parking available so the dude has to park five minutes away and now he has this five minute walk to the gym and he's just super grumpy and just like grumbling about this walk you know I have this inconvenience I have to cross all these like traffic lights or like you know this walkway whatever he has a five minute walk and it's just pissing him off then he gets to the gym and he gets on the treadmill and he's walking and he's feeling great. He's like, cool, I'm burning off the cheesecake that I had like today at lunch. This is awesome. It's like in both in both cases, walking is just walking. <laughs> yeah. In one case, the walking was a source of misery. In another case, the walking is a source of joy. Yeah. And it is this subconsciously imposed dichotomy of perception that we just go through life exercising. 
all the fucking time. But nothing really has any meaning other than the meaning that you give it. Yeah. And our best bet to survive the complete like randomness of life is to choose to ascribe meaning to things that we see that are most closely aligned with the truth in yeah. some sense. There's a super cheesy quote. New experiences are not gotten by seeing new things. New experiences are gotten by seeing old things with new eyes. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense, actually. And that's all we can do, man. That's all we can do. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah. Dude, this was a lot of fun. Yeah. I had a blast. And hopefully we'll continue to do it and have more people to like include in in like all of this. Cool. Cool. All right, man. Let's put a bow on it. Let's put a bow on it. <laughs>